lost my my fr- my person will cut this. <laughs> For sure. She'll cut this. Awesome. All right. So the technology industry has had a huge impact, undoubtedly, on education and learning for a long time now, from transforming the classroom to moving learning online during the pandemic to providing alternative paths to high-paying careers. We're going to touch on a lot of this with my guest today, Ash Kalurachi. Ash is the CEO of StarEd, a community of education innovators that offers programming for edtech companies with tech-enabled solutions. He is also the producer of EdTech Week in New York City, something he's been putting on for at least eight years now. So we met when he managed Kaplan Techstars EdTech Accelerator, and I came on as a coach slash entrepreneur in residence, supporting the startups with UX and user testing. So I'm just happy to have him today to talk about education technology, a topic we haven't yet covered on Make Sense. But first, Welcome to this week's episode of Make Sense, a video podcast that simplifies complex issues at the intersection of tech and people. Whether you're totally hyped on artificial intelligence and ready for the robot takeover, or you want to crawl into a cave after deleting all of your social media accounts, I'm here with my guests to help make sense of what's going on so you can design yourself into the future. My name is Lindsay Tabus. I'm a product market fit strategist and innovation advisor. I have always been obsessed with designing technology for people. So let's get started. Ash, welcome. Thanks so much. It's great to reconnect with you. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you for having me, Lindsay. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, what's big on the docket for StartEd this year? Oh, uh, we got some interesting things coming up. Um, Now that uh, the, the world had its biggest experiment in online learning, I think uh, 3 billion people went online and and I think a good portion of them are continuing to think it's a viable way to learn. Uh, Now we're going back in person. So armed with all this knowledge about the possibility of virtual, what should in-person look like? So that is uh, relevant for us because we do provide training uh, for for entrepreneurs and and networking uh, for all stakeholders within the space. Uh, but it also uh, informs uh, some of the tools and technologies that are being applied to the space. Uh, so we're getting uh, affected in a couple of different ways and all of it interesting. Cool. Well, I hope we hear about it throughout this episode. Uh, I know that EdTech Week and StarEd have been putting on a, a Shark Tank style of <laughs> event over the past couple of months, maybe longer than that. Uh, how's that been going? Uh, good. We we still haven't been called by ABC's lawyers uh, <laughs> for co-opting their name. So that's a good thing. Uh, cool. <laughs> uh, the day that we get that call, I'll, I'll mark it as a, a form of success. Uh, but yes, we, we have been using that term to describe uh, interaction and make better um, the introduction of a company to uh, groups of investors within this space. So uh, what happens behind the scenes at our tech shark tanks is our company, companies get quite a bit of training into who's a relevant investor, what's a great, how do you do your diligence so that you are making your time worthwhile as a founder uh, and you're approaching an investor knowing what they care about. Um, how do you manage that first conversation? How do you follow up afterwards? The basics of human interaction, but uh, it, it, you know, we've forgotten a few things in the last years and, and we find it's helpful to do that in the context of uh, a show, right? So we've mm-hmm. got 
like a, a bunch of startups to apply. We pick the best uh, handful uh, and we put them in front of some uh, knowledgeable edtech angels, VCs, foundations uh, with the objective of activating everybody there, those those sharks on the stage, but also the the hundreds in the audience. Yeah, so I have a question for you because I've been sitting on a Shark Tank-like idea for quite a while. What I wanted to do is mix it up, and instead of the three sharks being in, investors, have them be business-minded, competent comedians to, <laughs> because they like, don't have tech experience, so they, the entrepreneur is going to get a lot of questions trying to explain what the product even is to the layman, which we know is actually really important for founders to learn how to do. Um, but also get poked at, at, like, what's the actual application of this? Who actually, who would want that product? Who needs that? How's that going to work? So, so uh, the question I have for you is, what kind of entrepreneur would actually appreciate being like in on the joke while also being butt of the joke? Um, I, I hope any entrepreneur with a sense of humor and it, in a sense of humor is, is I think, a, a requirement to working in education uh, just because of what usually goes wrong in tech is exacerbated in this space. So you have to be able to laugh at yourself at sometimes. Uh, so, so I, I believe, uh, there's, there's a large group of founders who, who probably will, would be, uh, amenable to that. I think I love the, uh, the, the, the production of that, the, the, the putting together, um, a, a group of business mind comedians, uh, is, is great because you are, the, the objective of the founder is to be remembered, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and often what is, uh, what is funny does get, get passed around. That's right. what happens online and in person. Uh, so that that because of that reason, it's it's great. But also because um, I feel like comedians play have this very valuable service in uh, saying the unsaid thing and 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 blurting out the obvious that everybody's kind of got their social constraints on to not to say. Mm -hmm. So so why aren't we talking about the fact that uh, you, you know we have we have fourteen hundred solutions in schools, but there's uh, a school shooting more than once a day in the U.S. Yeah, uh, something something funny, uh, but obvious and and uh, startling. <laughs> yeah, so maybe we can collaborate sometime in the future. Once I put my sharks together, it could it could be a fun <laughs> a fun thing to try out once um, if you're interested. <laughs> um, <yeah>. But. <laughs> I'm smiling because at least you gave my idea an endorsement and that's always great, right? <laughs> so Ash, let's start with our first segment. What do you know? This is where us relatively intelligent tech ecosystem insiders discuss whatever hot mess has made national news. We don't claim to be experts, but we may know more than, you know, other people listening to this podcast. So Silicon Valley Bank, the bank got gets taken over around March 10th. I recapped what happened in my March 23rd episode uh, for today's listeners. Let's just give it like your explain like um five of what happened. Uh, absolutely. Uh, I think the best 
explanation was this meme I saw of a box of candy in the middle of a forest surrounded by monkeys. And the moment the first monkey opened the box and took their candy out um, and everybody realized, oh, wait a minute, there's probably going to be very little candy. All the monkeys rushed in and, and the box was completely destroyed. That's probably the best analogy to what happened. Uh, yeah. I probably just insulted a lot of people by making that analogy, but that's kind of what uh, transpired. Um, SVP didn't deserve to go down. They were mm-hmm. uh, the, the only bank that was purposefully helping and uh, helping entrepreneurs, uh, the most riskiest types of clients. Um, and they did make some bad managerial decisions, but ultimately what happened wasn't all their fault. Um, it was the willingness of a few to yell fire in a crowded room mm-hmm. uh, that ultimately uh, resulted in, in, in its takeover. Um, in terms of how it affected uh, our companies, so we have about 2,000 alumni and we probably provided some kind of training or introduced ourselves to about 10,000 EdTech founders out of about forty to 50,000 there are in the world. Nice. Um, I'd say very few of them uh, were really impacted. I did get a few phone calls, uh, yeah. some uh, phone calls about, okay, I'm 15 minutes from bank. Should I race over there and get my money out? And, and I, right. for those few, I said, look, uh, you probably should because everybody else is. Um, <laughs> uh, but if, if, you, if I was talking to yeah, 10,000 of you, I would say don't. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, so it was the very few uh, phone calls I got because edtech isn't an area that a lot of venture capitalists deploy funding in. And when I talk about edtech, it's, in my opinion, it's all along the learning life cycle from pre-K through K-12, higher ed, uh, workforce learning, adult learning. Um, sure, yes. Uh, and especially that kind of K-12 segment, uh, very few calls. Uh, yeah. was, there was very little investment in the space. Recently. So. Okay, so things are have generally calmed down, but also moving fast. You put on one of your Shark Tank events, March 22nd, and started also hosted a masterclass on fundraising March 24th. So I guess, like, what is the general mood right now broadly and in ed tech? You just told us that K through 12 startups don't get a lot of VC funding because the sales cycle is just too brutal for many uh, startups to make it through. Correct. So, so the, 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 I mean, so with everything, it's the rule of thumb. Unfortunately, whereas most of tech enjoys all investors being relatively relevant in ed tech, there's, it's marginalized to about 10 to 20% of, of venture capital dollars, maybe less. Um, so a lot of the training we provide in, in general is about identifying those who are walking that path who care about your patient capital, the problems in the space, and therefore have LPs, limited partners, who are investing and, and can uh, have the patience for those returns to to, to come in later on uh, than, than average. That's changing. Um, mm-hmm. you know, took, um, those investments we made in the program, we took part in, by the way, um, at Techstars, Lindsay, uh, about six years after we ran the program, Degreed and Newzella uh, were valued at a billion dollars, right? Yeah. They still are. Um, but it's taken 10 years for first checks to be cut out of any of those 20 companies we invested in. I mean, mm-hmm. all out of 
20 investments and more to come is probably a pretty decent hit rate. But that was because there were very few companies 10 years ago uh, that were very investable. Our job was relatively easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, now we are seeing the industry grow to 10 to 100 times larger. Um, like I said, that's 40 to 50,000 companies as opposed to a few thousand uh, 10 years ago. Uh, so the um, the job of the investor now becomes, uh, do I care about the specific space because I care about the social outcomes and financial impact it creates? Uh, so we do a lot of that uh, training in general. What we've done specifically for this moment in time is encourage companies to uh, ratchet down and, and tighten their uh, their purse strings um, uh, and and figure out whether there's a plan that they can account, that they can apply to survive uh, a winter that may or may not come. Uh, yes, yeah. it will. Uh, ironically, if you do have a plan to survive the winter, then that's when you'll probably scrape off the last few venture capital dollars that are still available. Right. Right. So I was talking to someone about it this week about, you know, all startups right now are getting punched in the face because fundraising dollars are, everyone's holding on to them. Lots of angels, not, not liquid right now. Um, and we were just talking about the power of an entrepreneur to be punched in the face and, you know, move on. Uh, and we saw a lot of that during COVID as well, right? COVID hit. Some entrepreneurs panicked, dropped everything and didn't really know how to respond. And others were able to rise to the moment uh, and figure out how to direct their business and their business growth through through that experience. So, uh, and so education just was standing in the right place when the wind started blowing at the back. Right, right. A lot of ed tech startups were right in the right place um, and and could get fast tracked. Uh, So I guess what I'm more asking is like with founders are, you know, ed tech, you said 10 to 20 percent of venture dollars. So it's like a limited pool of investors. Uh, What's the general mood right now? Are they are they scared? Are there people that are, you know, going about their business, assuming the money will be there? What's going on? Uh, founders, mm-hmm. uh, I, I believe founders are, are still focused and, and moving forward, right? At least mm-hmm. the ones that, that have some experience of the last 10 years, uh, understand that, uh, these things are built in cycles, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, just like 2008, the, the companies that survived the next, uh, few quarters, are going to be forged in steel. So mm-hmm. the ones who believe that they are uh, are those uh, and have and have a legitimate reason to do so are can tighten their belts, uh, re-addressing conversations with customers about what value they're bringing them, um, shoring up uh, their relationships with their existing investors, uh, and and attempting to get uh, any uh, bridge funding from them. Uh, mm-hmm. There are. Uh, a lot who are who have never been invested in who I'm uh, recommending that they gotta build a a camel not a unicorn right uh, you gotta be a, a company that's generating revenue pricing things as uh, you know accordance to value uh, spending what you bring in um, and that's how you are going to survive the next uh, few quarters. For sure. We've, I've talked about on a few previous episodes about whether VCs will uh, 
stop hunting unicorns and look for rehor- uh, look for workhorses. And it's like a little bit of both, but like right now you're in a much better position to build yourself as a workhorse than, um, you know, trying to go for unicorn status right at this moment. Uh, the people are just going to want to see customers, customers, traction, usage. Yeah. And, and by the way, the companies that we invested in 12 years ago, which is a similar time to this, I think, uh, but some, although this time is a little bit more complex and confusing. Uh, if you assume it was similar to about 12 years ago, um, the companies that were built then were built to achieve a, 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 a decent level of, of growth with limited dollars. And it took them, again, 10 years, as I mentioned, to start mm-hmm. checks to their investors. But um, the investors are getting the same type of returns that they would with venture capital dollars. But the founders, um, they are keeping 30, 40, 50% of their companies, right? Um, a large percentage of a $50 million business is is still a great outcome. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> even though you didn't get to that uh, that 20x valuation, uh, it you you survived, you took a swing at bat and, and you made it out with the resources to go uh, at, at bat again in the future when, yep. uh, when you feel like the winds are at your back. Yep. So next segment, Ash. Let's call this, we call it the crystal ball. What Mm. does the future hold? I'm going to call out interesting predictions for this year and have you tell us, you know, your, your hot take, but I want to do it rapid fire. So I want you to just consider like, yes, I want that to happen or no, that's not going to happen. Or yes, I already see that happening. So just give us like, you know, read between the lines for us. Okay. So one big headline is um, high dosage tutoring and homeschooling startups. So a bunch of people went into homeschooling over the pandemic. Kids in general have felt fallen behind from the pandemic. So uh, we're talking about high dosage tutoring and homeschooling. Is that uh, happening? Uh, yes, much needed, especially for underrepresented students. Um, some smart legislators, like those in Oregon, are now allowing people to start micro schools in their homes and not be evicted. Smart move, um, uh, and it's, uh, it leans into uh, the lack of daycare and schooling options that are available for parents. Right? I mean, I'm yeah. a, a, a new parent myself, and it's quite atrocious what my friends abroad have have access to and that they have been given versus what we have in the U.S. Uh, so we need it. Uh, it uh, we need more varieties of it. Um, but the funding cliff for it falls off this fall, right? You got $160 billion uh, dedicated to it three years ago. A lot of that comes uh, up, up for expiration uh, in just six months. Hmm. Okay. Well, my cousin just got a job helping, uh, moving from being head of revenue in the city of Philadelphia, working for the federal government to track down all those funds and make sure they get dispersed. But uh, absolutely correct. If startups, ed tech startups aren't getting the venture dollars, this funding cliff, thanks for pointing that out, is going to cause, you know, kind of a decision point for a bunch of of them, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Greater use of artificial intelligence in education and assessment tools. Ah, yes. Uh, isn't everybody? Um, 
yes, I think that uh, a, a lot of the debate uh, that we see is uh, because there's so, a large percentage of people very enthusiastic and 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 uh, prolific about applying it to their daily lives, and a large percentage that uh, are assuming that this is another fad; it'll go away. I'm going to I'm going to bury my head in the sand, and and I'm going to oh, I'm going to fear it. That's kind of the end of that continuum. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'm uh, probably more towards that farmer group, uh, so cautious, cautiously optimistic. I've seen so much of impact. Uh, I introduced some uh, some tools to my team and, and give them some rudimentary training, and the confidence it instills in some who have a lack of confidence around their writing or their communication, um, their ability to articulate and organize. It's it's just an amazing uh, assistant to life to have, right? And now I see mm-hmm. more variations of it. Um, will it have a, uh, uh, when will it impact and how will it impact how we learn and work? Uh, it depends on um, the, the systemic and structural ways that school has already existed. Uh, I think right. schools will always exist as they have and there, there will be just fewer and fewer of them. As, as we you know go lead into the future, uh, but uh, what outsized returns are created when individuals adopt and when outside of the institutional context, people start using and applying. Yeah, I I would I imagine just you know because we touched on it just a little bit before, but it does take a while for technology to you know get absorbed and adapted in a lot of educational institutions. So while we might see a greater use of AI in education and assessment tools, I put greater in quotes because greater could be one, you know, zero to a hundred. We go from zero to two this year, right? Right. So I I think you're right. Uh, The adoption of AI probably outside of the school will then um, drive Uh, adoption inside the school. So technology that supports teachers, not replaces them. It's that's that headline sound, that trend sounds like, uh, wow. Yes. Yeah. Brilliant. (laughs) Where this, this, uh, notion of replacing teachers came from, uh, I think it's, it comes from a mindset of not understanding the role that educators play. Um, increasingly as, as a society, we've given, educate schools and therefore educators the responsibility to create well-balanced human beings, to get them jobs, to uh, manage their health and well-being, uh, to uh, not let them be. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy what educators have on the shoulders. So that need isn't necessarily going away because educators said, okay, we got, we get very paid very little, but we're going to take on all these responsibilities. Um, what, uh, what I've seen coming out are, tools that are going to be helping the educator do their job. Um, if I can mention a specific company, uh, there's an awesome one uh, that's relative stealth. Um, I think I can mention it. Merlin Mines. Uh, that's going to be coming out in a big way with a billion-dollar valuation this fall. Uh, and their entire AI uh, assistant, this is they delivered it before this whole shebang, was, uh, is an assistant to help educators do everything that they can in and outside the classroom. Mm-hmm. That's, it. that's the entire company. It's 200 people just dedicated to, to, to doing that. And that's a great use of technology. Yeah. Right? Um, and analogously, I think that's 
where where it becomes most useful not to replace but to expand it's to refine it's to enhance uh, what 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 you guys doing as human beings yeah so a trend that came up with another guest was you know ai won't replace you but someone using ai will yes right and so i think a lot of the rhetoric in pop culture is that technology gears to just replace people uh, the reality is the next wave of it is just how can we support actual people? So technology that supports teachers, not replaces them. You know, uh, I don't, you're right. We can't replace them. There, <laughs> there doesn't seem to be a world that replaces them, but we could definitely and should be providing tools that make them, their jobs less onerous. And so they can focus on the real value. Okay. Tech-enabled immersive technology, so virtual reality and augmented reality, bringing immersive experience to more students. How far off is this? Yeah, unfortunately, I think that's a little bit of a ways off. Um, I mean, the big uh, barrier to adoption is still cost. Mm-hmm. And, and the, if, you, if you're watching the manufacturers, they're still going up market. Um, and sure, Meta dropped their device by 50 bucks, but that doesn't help a school much, right? Mm-hmm. Talking uh, about like Oculus or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, right. uh, so there isn't a good device that allows us to, to use that technology uh, yet. However, I think that solutions like that don't necessarily come from um, the social network space. I think mm-hmm. uh, true virtual reality also known as empathy machines, right? Come, mm-hmm. come empathy machines. The, uh, That's the first time for me hearing that word. Yeah, I mean, walk, literally walk in somebody else's shoes uh, to your this thing, right? Uh, so um, so they, those are, in those use cases, uh, if you can create the next analogous thing in whatever media format, I think mm-hmm. that's pretty powerful. Um, uh, I think that uh, if... What we'll start seeing are more um, use of media that are, that is immersive, that isn't necessarily device-based. I don't know what yeah. that looks and feels like, but I think the market will go around the device first mm-hmm. rather than through it. Mm-hmm. Yep, for sure. So I have seen applications of VR from startups uh, more in the workforce training space, like emergency responders, uh, yeah. that type of getting them uh, the the firefighters that fi- uh, fight these large fires yeah. in the West, giving them a, a virtual reality or augmented reality experience where they could actually practice in these types of situations or get to know certain types of landscapes before being dropped there. Yeah, I mean that's I mean what's the value of a human life? The ones that are being saved or the ones that are doing the saving, right? And also mm-hmm. it's tied to organizations that have capital, our tax dollars, most likely, mm-hmm. uh, to, to purchase that training. Uh, and that's kind of where it's 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 starting and starting the professional realm. Uh, but mass market adoption, I think still years away. And in in, in kids' classrooms, uh, very small corners probably of the education space. The 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 well funded corners with uh, like after school program or something right. that's focused on computer yeah. science. 
that's where we're seeing it, but we're not going to see it right in the bell curve. I talk about that a lot, like in the adoption bell curve, you have your early adopters, right? Your late adopters. And then you kind of have this pop, right? Like everyone in the middle. Exactly. Um, Until it's built into your uh, eyeglasses. (laughs) It's tough to do. Right. All right. So this is probably our last segment from disruptive to disastrous. In this segment, uh, I have my guests talk about when technology maybe backfires or the well-intentioned pursuits don't actually reach, you know, the vision the founder actually had. So uh, we know that 90% of startups fail, which means there are a lot of failure stories in there. Uh, so I asked Ash if he would uh, share some, especially since he knows where the, you know, has been part of, you know, a few waves of education technology trends over the past decade. Uh, uh, sure. I, I think that a lot of folks in the education space may remember this one. Uh, but for those of you who might be new to, to EdTech, um, there was a company called Old School. Um, uh, I think 10 years ago-ish, uh, that was building a technology layer over the classroom to do all the things in automated manner that, that a school would do and theoretically have uh, a lot of leverage for fewer people to manage uh, more educational experiences more flexibly. Great in theory, amazing vision, passionate founders, well-intentioned, uh, raised way too much money. Uh, I think they raised about $100 million from uh, brands we know and and famous people we know. And uh, ultimately, um, that was one of the biggest failures in in the space because, again, they raised too much money. Uh, If that team with less funding uh, had gone out, uh, they would probably be one of the larger companies affecting how we behave during the pandemic because they would have been perfectly timed uh, to to take advantage of, of that um, gigantic change. They just pitched their vision and, and took all the money they could. <laughs> was it a case of like a of a Adam Newman esque type founder that you know investors fell in love with, but the reality of their business was quite different? I, I don't think it was an Adam Newman type. I won't describe the founders in that way. I, I'd say. They were really well-intentioned um, and they were thinking big. They were experienced, but not experienced in education. They had never been in the classroom. Mm. This is kind of the problem when well-funded technologists go about trying to solve a problem in the space. Uh, unless you've actually seen the, inter- the interaction repeatedly between educators and learners in whatever setting, classroom, university, workforce, workplace, wherever it is, uh, it's really hard to understand that interaction. And and because of that, um, you end up focusing on the wrong things uh, and and misspending on on features no one necessarily uses. Mm, Got it. Got it. I mean, this goes back to to our our work together at Techstars, and it was quite forward of you uh, and the team to hire specialists to come in for the program. I, I don't think entrepreneur in residence was a role that Techstars had really defined until after that. Uh, but I was brought in to get as the startups in front of as many teachers and students as possible. And I remember 
I remember going through like my entire Facebook friend list to find every single teacher I knew to pull them into user testing for the startup so that they could actually understand that nuisance, that nuance, if they didn't already understand it from their own experience. And you were so effective at it because, I mean, most educators, especially talking about K-12, most educators uh, are, are female and you had such a broad network of uh, people that you could speak to uh, as, as an engineer and you kind of crossed that divide, and which is a, was a very rare thing to, to see uh, all those years ago. Um, so I'm glad uh, I met you then and I'm glad I know you now. Yeah, well, thank you so much. So uh, let's make it make sense. There's a lot of awesome stuff going on in ed tech. And unlike other industries, uh, it doesn't have as much venture uh, pouring into it. Uh, so we're really focused on you know, customers, users, so teachers and parents and students, administrators, uh, and really having a real, a real business, right? We like that when the startups are actually making money on their own. Um, so while, you know, the SVB thing kind of did affect the industry, maybe not as much as others, we've got a lot of cool things to be excited about. Uh, um, and we learned which ones aren't probably being used that much just yet, like artificial, uh, sorry, augmented reality and VR. So thank you for listening to Make Sense with me, your host, Lindsay Tabus, and guest, uh, Ash Kalawachari. We hope you enjoyed our take on EdTech. Uh, Ash, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find us at started.com. Uh or if you're planning to be in New York at uh, the East Coast's largest educational innovation event this fall, uh, come to EdTech Week. That's the first week in October. You can find out about it at edtechweek.com. I, awesome. I got to do my product market fit talk for EdTech Week while, when it was remote. So, all right. If you want to continue to be the smartest person in the room, hit that subscribe for next week's episode. I'm in the early days with this and every subscriber on YouTube specifically makes a huge difference. As always, you can check all, all the links and resources in the show notes. That's all for this episode. Thank you, Ash, for joining me. Thank you, Lindsay.